The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship, located in Mountain View, California. We'll be in James chapter 1, uh, a wonderful book. Those of you who weren't here last week, we just looked at verse 1 and really trying to find out who James was because there's at least four different James mentioned in the New Testament. This is James, uh, the younger brother of Jesus, our Lord, actually. So Jesus was born of a virgin. Mary, and then after Jesus was born, Joseph and Mary got married and had a normal marriage like anybody else and everything that goes along with that kind of a marriage. And then they had several children together, Joseph and Mary, and James was one of those at least four sons that were born, James and Jude and Joseph and also some sisters. And so uh, James, we talked about during the course of Jesus' ministry, uh, was slow to believe in his older brother Jesus, didn't believe that he was the Messiah. And so for three and a half years at least, didn't believe Jesus for who he was, and even at times mocked and taunted Jesus. And then after uh, Jesus died and rose again from the dead, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus Christ in glory, made a special appearance and came to James, his unbelieving half-brother. And that's really what transformed James. Uh, And then he believed in Jesus Christ and became a new creature and was committed to, to the Christian church, and as a matter of fact, God rose him up in leadership in the early Christian church there in Jerusalem. So God did an amazing work in the life of James. And so now 15 years has gone by probably since Jesus died and rose again into heaven. And James is pretty much uh, the spokesman of the Jerusalem church, which primarily at first was nothing but Jewish converts. Gentiles came later, especially under the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And so when Jesus came and rose again from the dead and ascended into heaven, there was a lot of excitement and zeal on behalf of the believing Jews uh, that Jesus Christ was who He said He was. He's conquered death and hell by virtue of His resurrection. He ascended on high and He promised to come again. And they were living with great excitement and anticipation because He did say at times, My coming, I will come quickly or I will come soon. Probably in their thinking is, Wow, this could be next week, next month. And now 15 years has gone by. And these believing Jews dispersed all throughout outside of Palestine in the humdrum of life waiting 5, 10, 15 years for Jesus to return are like all of us, frail, weak human beings. And they began to get cold. And some of them began to get impatient. Well, wow, I thought Jesus was going to come 10, 15 years ago. And they began to get a little stale in their faith and cold in their faith, lacking, maybe even questioning what they believe. And getting in a rut and getting attached too much to this world, as formerly they were waiting in great anticipation for Jesus Christ to come in glory and establish His reign. And so there was even compromise in their daily living in every area of life. And James knew that. He heard about that. And his audience, those he's writing to, are Jews that are scattered outside of Jerusalem all over the Roman Empire. Um, Probably many of these people he's actually never met, but has heard reports from them. These little believing Jewish congregations of believers all over the Roman Empire. And so he's writing this letter inspired or led along by the Holy Spirit of God to really address every area of their life, to keep living, to occupy themselves until the glorious return of Jesus Christ and to be faithful stewards and renew their zeal and their passion as being believers. And James has come to be known. It was the first New Testament book written, by the way. And James is known, and appropriately so, as as the book of action because James starts right out of the uh, verse 2 with commands and imperatives to these Christians. You need to be doing this. You need to be making a priority of this. 
Um, so there's not a whole lot of theoretical, heavy-duty theology, as Paul would have in some of his epistles. It is just go, go, go. Here's what you need to be doing. We know you're believers. There's an understood foundation that's already been laid as mature Jewish believers. You know the Old Testament. You know Jesus Christ. Many of you, you met Jesus Christ personally. So the theology is already there. Now you need to act on your theology and continue to act on your theology. And that's why James is called uh, the book of action. Putting your faith into practice on a regular, consistent basis. And we're going to see that right out of the gate. Boom, he gets right at it of what believers need to be doing. And this is a good reminder for those of us who have been believers for quite some time. You know, we had one of our new members introduced has been a believer about three years. I remember when I was a Christian in the first year to five years as age 19, just how exciting uh, everything was, how fresh everything was, how good everything, how happy I was every morning that I woke up when I first got saved. And it just it was an exciting, blessed time. That's kind of that honeymoon that God many times gives new believers, that great zeal. But over time, I look back, wow, it's been over 20 years, almost 25 years, and that, that zeal at times has waned and ebbed and flowed many times based on the circumstances of life and my emotions and my short-sightedness. And that's the kind of audience that James is dealing with here. So this is going to be uh, very beneficial for those of us who've known God and at times gotten in a rut to be reminded of the priorities of how we are to live for Christ. Let's go ahead and read the first verse, uh, first eight verses, if you could follow with me. starts out, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad. Greetings. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, in order that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all humans or people generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. Being a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. So that's the passage that I want to look at right now. You don't need to answer this out loud, but in your own heart. Uh, this past week or maybe in the last two weeks, last three weeks, uh, as a situation come in your life that has been a trial something hard to deal with. And as a Christian, in your heart, you ask God, God, how, how, why is this happening to me? How did I get into this situation? That's the question that James wants to answer for believers. Trials. Trials and temptations that come along. Primarily, he's talking about trials that come along day to day in our life. And so this passage has some uh, wonderful godly wisdom for us to think about and take every single one of our trials that comes along in life and really filter it through God's truth as we find in James chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Let's go ahead and look at what God has to say about dealing with trials as they confront us every day in life. Thinking four years back, about four years ago, when the church was just one year old and probably had half as many people, maybe even a little less, and in preparing our elders to be elders, I had all of them uh, preach at least one sermon, and they did. And uh, Bob Douglas chose 
James chapter 1, verses 1 through 8 about there on trials. That was his one shot. And uh, a year before that, when we had the church plant meeting, I mean, this was like in somebody's home, and there were only like 12 of us, and we're seeking God's will, and God, are you on the move? Are you really doing this? Do you want us to be a part of this work? And we had sense, and we had great unity that, yes, God was going to start a church. And we were all excited. Everybody's going, yippee, hoo-hoo, new church, how exciting. And then uh, Bob Douglas, he kind of rose his finger and interjected and said, now, wait a minute, this is exciting. And it probably is of God. But we all know that if God is doing something new, something exciting, something beneficial, then you know somebody's going to be upset and that is Satan. And he will do everything he can to destroy that work. So we can all guarantee that if this is what God is doing, and he's starting a new work that we can expect trials and trials of the severest order, even where Satan or things will come along that will attack our family, that will attack our marriages, that will attack our jobs. Count on it. I guarantee it. Now, Bob, he's not a prophet. But anyway, uh, what he was speaking was truth. And what was amazing, a year later, he preached on James 1, the same passage. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. And he took us through this beautifully of what the text said, reminding us that trials are real, trials will come. Uh, we need to have the right attitude about dealing with trials. And then it wasn't long after that where uh, Bob went through trials uh, to the greatest degree in his own life, uh, in his business and lost his business and had to sell his home and then had to move out of the area, leaving family, church, friends, and it was devastating. And we kept in touch with him for two years and on a regular basis. And it was a valley for the Douglas family. Yet God was faithful. And that's what Scripture says. Lost everything except the most important thing. Their faith remained intact, which doesn't always happen. Their marriage remained intact. And the love for their children remained intact. Their family remained intact. Aren't those the most precious commodities that God has given us. Not only did they remain intact, they became stronger. And so uh, that was just a good recent example in our own church body uh, of an illustration in light of this passage. With that, let's go ahead and look at how we as Christians should deal with trials when they come our way. Um, so let's go just a few points that I came up with there. And really what God is trying to address is our thinking about trials, about hardships, about tribulations in life. Our thinking, everything starts with our thinking. You cannot depend on your emotions or your situations. We can't. To be a Christian is to be a thinking person, thinking first and foremost on the truth of God as we confront every situation in life. And really that is what James is doing in this passage. He is addressing our thinking as Christians and how we should think properly about the trials in life and what our attitudes should be. So that leads me to point number one. When we are confronted with trials, the hardships, the vicissitudes of life that Jesus promised would come, the Scripture promised would come. Point number one, Christians need to welcome trials in their life. They need to welcome trials, embrace trials. I didn't say that Christians need to like trials. Huge difference. They need to welcome trials. And really, that's what James is telling us. And he starts his book really with a command, an imperative. And that's in verse 2. About Christians need to welcome trials. He says, consider it all joy. What is the command or the imperative? It's consider. You know what he's saying is think. Think the right way. Think the right way about trials. Think the right way about hardships in life. Don't think like an unbeliever. Think like a believer. 
It all starts with your, not with your circumstances, not with your emotions, not with the consequences. It all starts with your thinking as a Christian when you have hardships in your life. And that's why he says at verse 2, consider. Think this way. Deem this cert- certain situation in a certain, from a certain perspective. Think like this. It's a command. It is ongoing. It is continual. It's to be a habit of our Christian life. This is actually a Christian discipline of how we think, and especially in this context, how we think about trials, hardships in life. And here's the radical command. Consider it all joy. That, that is radical. Joy? Wow. When was the last major hardship you had in your life and you just had joy about that trial? The, the human tendency, I'll be honest, is to complain about it, isn't it? To whine about it, complain about it, to be discontent about it, to tell others about your problems. Whining and complaining, and that's the human way. And here James, with his radical truth from God, is no... Think, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. So here it starts with God is trying to get attention regarding to think the right way about our situation. We need to welcome, embrace trials in our life. And I just want, a couple of things I want to uh, remind us about of why, why should we welcome trials in our life? Instead of complaining about God and God, you've got something against me and shake our fist at Him. That's not, that, that is not a biblical Christian response. That's actually an offense to God. That, that is a wrong view of God. That's really blasphemy. We need to welcome trials in our life. Why? Why should we welcome trials in our life? Well, first of all, we need to have a realistic view of trials as a Christian. Trials are inevitable. Trials will come. That's what James says in verse 2. Look at it. He says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. He doesn't say, If you encounter various trials. There is a kind of evangelical, not evangelical, but Christianity uh, that says if you become a Christian, uh, you'll have a better life. You won't have trials. You won't have struggles. You'll have prosperity. You won't get sick. That is just not true. That's a lie. That's totally unscriptural. Here's the true perspective on life. Life is hard. I agree with that bumper sticker. When I see that, I say amen. So first thing regarding welcoming trials as a Christian is we need to have a realistic view of trials, a realistic view of life. We need to welcome them because trials will come. They are inevitable. Uh, one of my favorite pastors used to say, you're either as a Christian in the midst of a trial, leaving a trial, or uh, coming out of a trial. And you're about to get on another one. We are on a roller coaster of trials in our life. That's the way it is. Why is that? Because Romans 8, Genesis 3 says we lived in a cursed world, a cursed earth. That's why we have trials. Three times in Romans 8 it says, by the way, Christian, you live in a world that is cursed. And so we are grown. there's a lot of groaning going on. Suffering, life is hard. This earth has been cursed by God. This earth is our enemy. It is not our friend. That's why there's trials in life. We are also sinful. We have sin living in us, and that uh, causes trials. Sometimes we bring our own trials upon us because of our bad, sinful decisions, and we reap our own consequences. Uh, We also have trials in an ongoing matter, and they're always a reality because this world is hostile to believers, isn't it? And we're finite And there's a real devil, his name is Satan, and he's on the prowl like a roaring lion seeking whom he will devour. So that's a realistic view of life. Trials will come, and that's why James said in chapter 1, verse 2, when trials come, think this way. Be realistic. I think about being a counselor, pastor, or a biblical counselor. All it is, to sum it up, is you're meeting with somebody that's got a problem. They have a trial in life. And as you're talking, you are, as a biblical counselor or pastor, I'm trying to address their thinking. You need to think of this trial in the right way. I probably can't solve your problem. 
That, that's God's job. But I can tell you how to think the right way. I can remind you of Scripture. I can remind you of what God said. I can probe and diagnose and ask questions and see if you're thinking the wrong way in a specific manner about this trial. So what I'm after as a biblical counselor is changing your thinking. That is exactly what James says is the first step in dealing with trials properly in this life. We have to have a realistic view of trials. We have to welcome them and embrace them and realize they are inevitable. They will continue to come. You are not unique to anybody else if you've got trials in your life. No doubt, just about every one of us had trials last week and the week before, and sometimes the trials are on top of trials, aren't they? And the load gets heavy. The Bible is realistic about this. Job 5.7 says that uh, humans were born for adversity. That's just a lot of human life. As the sparks fly upward, so every human being is born for adversity and trouble in this life. Key verse, I want you to look at this because this is a great parallel passage, and it's an anchor for so many when they get in the midst of a, a hard trial and sometimes a prolonged trial. I know that this verse has been a blessing to many believers, and that's 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians 10, where Paul reminds believers, he says, no, verse 13 says, no temptation. It's the same word for trial in James chapter 1. No trial of daily living has overtaken you, but such is common to man. And what he's saying is, you've got a trial in your life and you feel like you've been ambushed by the circumstances of life. Well, that's okay. You know what? That's normal. That happens to everybody. That's what he's saying here. You are not unique. Talk to some people, you think their trials and their circumstances are unique. And God's never been confronted with this trial before. No, He has. Scripture has. That's the beauty of it because there's the answer in God's Word. So no temptation, you are not unique in the fact that you've got trials in your life. Everybody has trials. Job and the Apostle Paul suffered with trials more than anybody in the history of the world. And God was able to comfort them and sustain them. No temptation has overcome you, but such is common to everybody else. And here's the key. God is faithful. He has not abandoned you if you're a Christian. God is faithful. He is with you every step of the way of the trial. He knows everything about the trial. He even has a plan for the trial. God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. And sometimes we think, wow, do I really believe that verse? I'm in a trial and God isn't going to let me get into a trial that I can't handle. That's what Scripture says. Sometimes it's hard for us to believe that, but that's what Scripture says. That is what God said. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation, with the trial in life, He will provide the way of escape. There is only one way through a trial in life for the Christian. You know what that is? It's going through the trial. It's going. You've got to go through the trial. You can't jump the fence, sneak around, end round, go under, backtrack. No. There's only one way through the trial, and that's going through the trial. And God promises to take you through the trial in order that you may be able to endure it and grow in patience, your trust in God, and mature as a believer. Wonderful, great reminder, 1 Corinthians 10:13. Why else should we welcome trials? Well, because they're inevitable. They're going to continue to happen. Also, we should welcome trials as Christians because God is in control. God is totally sovereign. When, when it comes to trials, trials in life will expose your view of God like nothing else in life. Hardships, trials... That'll just cut all the chaff away and expose your heart and your view of God. And if you look very carefully in James chapter 1, a theology of God is in just about every single verse. What do you believe about this God, Christian? It'll expose your faith. Is it a, a phony faith or a true faith? An immature faith or a strong faith? 
So God is in control. That's why we should welcome trials. He is totally sovereign. Romans 8.28 says God works all things together for good, doesn't he? It doesn't say God thinks everything is good. He works all things together for good. He will take your trials that are bad and sometimes evil and work those for good if you are a believer because God loves His children. Romans 8.28 Why else should we welcome trials? As James calls us to do because trials... you got to remember this. When I'm counseling people in trials, I, I'm, at least I'm supposed to as a biblical counselor, at some point in the conversation say, what is God teaching you through this? What are you learning through this? How is God refining you through this? Because that's one of the reasons we need to welcome trials with joy, knowing God is fully aware of this trial, He is sovereign over this trial, and He is using this trial to refine me and make me a stronger Christian. That's what He's trying to do. Or teach me a lesson. God wants my good. God wants my growth. So think about the worst trial you've ever had in your life. And many of you had some devastating ones. And maybe it's behind you. And you can look back. Say, that's right. God was trying to teach me something. He was growing me. He is sovereign, totally in control. So that's why we can uh, agree with James and welcome trials. One other thing I need to say is, James didn't say, feel joy in the midst of trials. He didn't say that. He said, consider it all joy when you confront a trial. We don't have joy about the trial. Some trials are just absolutely heinous, evil, wicked. We don't uh, dismiss that and get unrealistic or be masochistic about it. Or with a fake spirituality, oh, all these horrible things. I got fired from my job and I'm fighting with my mother-in-law and I don't have any money. Yippee! No, that is a false, shallow, unbiblical spirituality and that is not what James is saying. He's not saying rejoice in your trials, in the trial itself. He's saying rejoice when you encounter a trial and he gives the reason why. You rejoice. You have joy in the process knowing that God is totally sovereign. This is for your good. God will accomplish all things together for His glory and your good. So it's the process. It's the perspective as we step back and realize God uses trials sovereignly to grow us in this life, to draw us closer to Him that He might be glorified. And that is reason for the believer to have joy, isn't it? This is, he's talking about a, a mindset and a worldview, a theology of how we uh, perceive and understand trials in life. So Christians need to welcome and embrace trials, embrace the process, and allow God to lead us through the process. And it hurts. Think about when I was in fourth grade and I joined the football team for the first time and it was tackle football, full pads. I was scared to death, but I had to do it because my four older brothers played football and my dad made me play tackle football. And the first day of practice, the coach lines us up and he's yelling at us and he has all these like ten guys on one side make a line and ten guys on the other side make a line and they make an aisle about this big across six feet and they give McManus, the little skinny underweight dude, the football, fourth grade. And I'm supposed to take this football and run 50 yards straight ahead between all these big scary guys. And as I go through this gauntlet, every guy gets a free shot at me with an elbow. They can tackle me, whatever. It's called the gauntlet. And it was painful. Uh, and if I get hurt and fall down and start crying, I've got to get up and keep... Uh, and the only way through it is to get to the end. And they weren't going to stop beating me up until I got through the gauntlet. And it hurt. And I was a sissy and it was painful, but I got through. And it was a great learning experience. I didn't want to play football ever again. But that's what life is like, isn't it? Only one way through, God will see you through. Let's go on to number two. Christians need to welcome trials. Trials confront us in various ways. A multitude of ways. Many different ways. Countless ways. 
Trials confront us in countless ways, and that's in verse 2. The, the Greek terminology is beautiful here because of how graphic it is. It says, so consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Uh, the word for various there, it means many colored. It's, they are, the trials that come are varied. Everybody has trials. They're of the same nature. But there are so many different kinds of trials. And isn't this a wonderful blessing? All these trials are tailored specifically and personally just for us. Well, thank you, Jesus. And that's what that word means. Various trials, many color trials, variegated. That means just countless colors, patterns. And they're tailored just for us. And the word for trials is very important there. That is, does not mean temptations. These, the word for trial in this context means uh, the outward trials of life that come and result from simply daily living that everybody else encounters. That's what it's talking about. This is not internal temptation to sin. These are outward trials of life, about living life. And they, pers- they are personalized for us. And by the way, I want to highlight in verse 2, it says, Consider it all joy when you encounter. That does not do justice to what the, the actual Greek text says. I think the NIV says, Count it all joy when you meet trials. Hello, trial. I don't think so. The ESV says, Count it all joy when you... Oh, no, Uh, NIV says when you face trials. The ESV says when you meet trials. Uh, The NASB says when you encounter trials. The literal Greek text says when you fall into trials. Isn't that more like it? You're walking through life. Everything's great. You stumble, you fall, boom. And you are in the pit of a trial. Not only that, it's a a specific word. When you pipto, fall into. And then uh, James, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, adds a preposition on the front to even make it worse. Carry around when you are fall into and are surrounded by a trial or a pit you can't get out of on your own. That sounds more like it. And it happens suddenly, doesn't it? When you trip, you're walking through life and you trip and you fall. It's suddenly, it's spontaneous, you feel like you got ambushed, you're shaking your head. Wow, how did this happen to me? That sounds like a more realistic trial that we expect in life, isn't it? Instead of meet and greet and encounter. Oh, I see this trial. I think I will bypass. I don't like you trial. I'm going over here. No. It's you're literally getting ambushed. And that's what he's talking about. Consider it all joy, brethren, when you are spontaneously ambushed by the daily trials and haphazards of life. Wow! I can relate to those kind of trials. So trials confront us in many ways. All kinds of various trials. Keeping in mind that they are personalized to our situation. You know, you might be going through a trial that is not a trial for another believer. They're like, serious? You have problems with that? You really got problems with handling your money? You really got problems with uh, your family relationship? Serious? I don't. But we all have our own personalized trials, and God knows that. He is aware. He's totally sovereign. We need to keep that in mind. So trials confront us in a variety of ways. Point number three there. And this is one of the reasons why we can have joy in the process. is because of number three. Trials help us grow spiritually. God has a goal in mind. God has a goal. As a matter of fact, that's the word for uh, testing in verse 3. The NASB says, knowing that the testing of your faith, consider a trial in life as a test from God. He knows you are in this situation. He knows about this hardship. From God's point of view, this is a test. He wants to make you stronger. So this is neutral. This is objective. An objective test from God. God, with a specific, definitive end result God wants to bring about and accomplish in your life. Things need to be tested to, to, to test the quality or the goodness of it inherently. I think about when 
I was about to get engaged and I ordered my wife's wedding ring, diamond, and I ordered, for, I ordered it from a friend of a friend, which probably wasn't the smartest thing in the world. And I wasn't a diamond broker. And so I, I bought the diamond and then we gave it to her and she thought it was a beautiful diamond. At least it looked like it until we went to Zales where we got it tested because I hadn't had it tested. I'm just assuming this friend of my friend was honest with me, even though I didn't know him. And he gave me this and he said it's a real diamond. And I didn't know if it was a real diamond. I guess it is. We'll find out. And then we and then my wife took me or my girlfriend took me to Zales to see the quality of this diamond. And I was really nervous, by the way. And then so we subjected that diamond to the test. And I was just a great sense of relief when the Zales person came up with their Huge thing that they look at diamonds and look at it and, and said, wow, that's a beautiful diamond. That is pure and, and very well cut. And I was like, Whew, good. And that was a test. It made me nervous, but it exposed reality, the quality of something. That's what God wants to do with trials in our life. So trials help us grow spiritually. He says that in verse 3 and 4. Uh, you're going to go through trials. Count the process joy, knowing that the testing of your faith Will produce endurance. The testing of your profession or your walk as a Christian is going to be put to the test to help you grow in the area of endurance or patience. And primarily, it's patience with God, waiting on His timetable. I don't. I don't think in my Christian experience of 25 years, rarely do God and I agree on timing, if ever. And that's what James is saying here, man. You need to be. We need to learn patience, waiting on God. What an attribute. What a virtue, learning to wait on God and be patient. That's what is being strengthened, the spiritual muscle of patience or endurance, waiting on God. He knows what He's doing. He is in control. We do not. Trials help us grow in this regard. Knowing that the testing of faith produces something. There's a byproduct. There's a fruit. Endurance, among other things. And let endurance have its perfect result. What is that? In order that you may be perfect or literally mature is what that means. God is trying to make us mature Christians. And he does that through trials. Mature and complete, lacking in absolutely nothing. God wants us to be balanced, stable, level-headed, mature, walking in the Spirit, Christians. And it is a process. It is a refining process. Just real quick, some things that God wants to teach us in the midst of trials. He wants us to depend upon Him, doesn't He? Man, when we got a trial, the first thing we need to do is not look down, look at self, look up. What is God trying to teach us? Depend upon Him. He's trying also to purge our sin. When we're in the midst of a trial, one thing that's exposed is our attitude. I'm in a trial. Am I complaining and whining? Or am I asking God for help and rejoicing of the process? God also wants to wean us from this world, doesn't He? Boy, the older I get, the less I really like this world because it has so not so much to offer me. Heavenly minded. Uh, also, God wants to teach us how to be content in life. That's probably one of the greatest lessons, contentment, right? Whatever your trial is, are you content in God? Paul learned to be content in every situation in life. How content are you? How content am I in the midst of difficult situations? And then finally, I already addressed this one. God is trying to change our thinking in trials. So there's a lot of practical lessons and things that God's trying to teach us and grow us in spiritually. So trials help us grow. Number four, with every trial, we should first... Ask God. That is option number one. So, if you've got the following trials in your life, maybe you've got loneliness, maybe you've got an addiction, maybe you've got trials at work, with an employer, hard situation at work, a difficult colleague, a difficult uh, customer, 
Those are trials. You got, maybe you've got family trials. In your marriage, unsaved uh, spouse. Maybe you've got an ex-spouse who's a hardship for you, making it very difficult. Maybe you've got struggles and trials with children right now. You've got a rebel on your hands. You're just not getting along. You're not clicking as mom and dad. Maybe your parents are the trial for you right now in terms of you relationally having a hard time with your parents. These are realistic trials, aren't they? Maybe you've got trials at school, can't pay the tuition, you're overwhelmed by your homework load, you don't know anybody, you feel ostracized, you feel isolated, you've got a problem with the teacher who's unjust, at least from your perspective. You're not making the grades. Maybe you've got trials with your finances, you lost your job, you need a job, your job isn't producing, you don't like your job, you're not content. Maybe you've got relational problems and you're in conflict with other people. Maybe you've got uh, trials with your car, breaking down, you don't have the money to afford one. Physical trials in life, maybe you've got a hardship physically, you were born with one, or maybe just from getting older, or something has sprung upon you like cancer, devastating. Physical trials, or maybe it's just a sudden tra- tragedy where somebody you love or know has died instantly in a car crash. Those are the trials of life, aren't they? And it's with all of these trials that we need to go to the book of James and filter all of these things through God. And the first thing we do when we've got a trial is we go to God, and that's number four. With every trial, we should first ask God. Look at verse five. But if any of you lacks wisdom, we all do, don't we? In every child, we lack we lack wisdom, and so he says. Ask God. That is another command. When you, if you have a trial in your lap, the first thing you need to do is ask God regarding that trial. And it's specifically, you ask God for wisdom about this trial. God, give me wisdom regarding this trial. I don't have the answers. And I'm getting counsel from other people, and they have some answers, but they don't have all the answers, like Job's friends. But God, You have the answers. Give me wisdom and decision-making and how to endure and how to persevere. Give me hope. Give me joy. But God, give me wisdom. That's what we need to ask for. And you know what? That's really an easy prayer, isn't it? In terms of the content. We can all do that. God, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom. And he, and he says, uh, and then he, it comes down to your view of God. Well, what about this God we pray to? Well, God gives to all people generously. You are praying to a generous God. He is a, a liberally giving God. Boy, if his children would just ask, he'll give. He gives generously, says the middle of verse 5. He does it without reproach. In other words, when you ask God for something, He's not shaking His finger at you. You mean you're asking me again? Well, you squandered what I gave you the last time. That's what that means. Without reproach, He doesn't do that. You can't wear God out in asking Him. We go to the throne of grace pleading with Him with confidence and boldness, right? And that's what this is saying. Your view of God is at stake here. Ask God. Continue to ask Him like a loving father pulling on his pant leg like little kids do to their parents. Daddy, can I have this? Daddy, can I have this? Daddy, can you help me? Daddy, can I have this? Daddy, can you help me? Yeah, okay. I will because I love you. You're my child. So he gives liberally or generously. He gives without reproach and it will be given to him. That is so matter of fact, I love it. You're in a trial. Ask God for wisdom. And the guarantee from Scripture is God will give it to you. He will give you the needed wisdom in that situation. Think about your trial this week. Have you asked God for wisdom regarding that trial that you're dealing with, you are wrestling with in life? Did you go to Him first and say, God, help me with this. Give me the wisdom. Did you do that? And I need to ask myself the same question. I've done that with every trial in my life because that is step number one. Go to God. Ask Him for the wisdom. But then James reminds us, to be very careful and to, to pray in faith, verse 7 and 8. But uh, let not that man or any Christian expect that they will receive anything from the Lord if they are double-minded. 
In other words, you've got to ask in faith. You've got to believe God at His Word. You've got to believe Him based on His character and who He is. And if you doubt that and you have wrong thinking and you hesitate and you're trying to control the situation yourself, did you know that is a sign of doubt? Okay, God, help me out. And then you try to control or manipulate the situation. You're not trusting God. Because you're afraid of the results. You're afraid of the consequences. Or we are as humans. So we need to ask. We need to ask in faith. And we need to believe He's going to give us the wisdom. But if we don't ask in faith, or we compromise in our faith, and we have doubts, and we question God's ability to follow through, we question His character, oh God, He's just trying to uh, do me bad right now. That is wrong. That is a misrepresentation of the true character of God. So don't ask, don't expect to receive anything if you've got the wrong attitude, a lack of faith and a wrong view of God. Because if you do, you're a double-minded person. You are two-faced Your heart is divided. God doesn't like that. You can't serve two masters, God and anything else. So don't be double-minded. If you are double-minded, when you ask for God wisdom in the midst of a trial, and you're double-minded, depending upon other things and other circumstances, or doubting His ability to deliver, or undermining His character, you are unstable, I am unstable in all of my ways. Like the, the, the waves of the sea, totally unstable, ungrounded, no hope. No way out. And that's uh, verse 8, being a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Verse 6 says, you'll be like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed all over the place, like the driving wind. You You will not have an anchor for your soul. So that's why Paul reminds us so pointedly many times in Scripture, I think of 2 Corinthians 5 where he says, Christians need to walk by faith, not by sight, right? Walk by faith, not by sight. Trust God. Ask Him. Believe. He will deliver. It's 100% guaranteed that if you ask God for wisdom, He will give it. It doesn't say ask God for something specific other than wisdom, by the way. God, give me uh, the girlfriend I want. Give me the car that I asked for. No, you ain't going to get that necessarily. Give me the job I want. Give me the money I want. Uh, Give me the timing that I want for this to be over. No, it's give you the wisdom you need, and He will answer that. He will give you that wisdom to see you through the trial. And the key is to walk by faith, to believe in faith, to pray in faith, Hebrews chapter 11 says it is impossible to please God without faith. That is the characteristic of a mature Christian. And here's a secret. It's not really a secret, but we forget it many times as Christians. So what we need in the midst of trials is we ask God and ask Him confidently, we need faith. And where does faith come from? Faith comes, supernatural ability to believe and trust and act on God's Word comes from one place and one place only. It doesn't come from human logic. It doesn't come from our resources. Faith comes only from Scripture, the truth of God's Word. That's Romans 10:17. Faith comes by hearing the Word preached about Christ. And so it's amazing sometimes when you talk to people and they say, man, I am dry. I am in the valley. I'm not making it too well through this trial. Well, how's it going with the Bible? Man, I haven't read my Bible in three weeks. Wow, that is your resource of faith right there. How's it going at church? Well, I haven't been there in two weeks. I haven't been with the saints. I haven't been to Bible study. We need to get fed on the Word because the Word of God is the source of true supernatural faith that will feed our souls and help us make it through the trial. That's what God said. And it will stabilize us. Trusting in Him. Well, with all of that, let's personalize it a little bit with letter A. What is your trial today? Maybe it was last week. Maybe you've got more than one. You can write that on your own and give that to God. Here's my trial. Here are my trials, Lord. I confess to you that I haven't done what Scripture has required. I haven't asked you. I haven't prayed to you. I haven't trusted in you. 
I've complained, I've grumbled, I've been discontent, I've been self-centered. I've On and on it goes, doesn't it, with our sin? So what is your trial today? I've, I've got several trials in my life. Always do. This was a rebuke to me. Then the next question, B, how are you dealing with it in light of the five biblical realities listed above? And I would just encourage you to go to God with your trials. And I want to close with this. If you've got your Bible, let's read in closing Proverbs 3, uh, 5 and 6. A good reminder to get our thinking focused right on God off of ourselves. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord. And that, that word for Lord is Yahweh. That's His personal name. We know the personal God of the universe. Trust in Yahweh. Do not uh, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him, praying, God, give me wisdom in all of these circumstances. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him. Here's the promise. He will make your paths straight. He will clear the fog and He will give you the wisdom. It's exactly what James 1.5 says. Verse 7, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And you know what? God loves you as His child and He will answer that prayer. And He's going to see us through the trial and make us stronger as a result which gives Him the glory. Let's go ahead and pray to the Father of glory. Dear Heavenly Father, thank You for this day, another Lord's Day designed by You to allow the saints to come together, to gather, to worship You, to be edified, to be equipped, to study Your Word together. God, thank You for the book of James, how practical it is. God, thank You for being so realistic with us, reminding us that trials are a part of life. And You haven't abandoned us. You, you love us. You've promised to see us through the trial. You've promised to help us grow through the trial, become more mature, to hold our hand every step of the way. And God, may throughout this week we be reminded of where faith comes from. It comes from Your Word. And that as we are in Your Word, our faith will grow. That we will walk by faith and not by sight. We will keep asking You and asking You and asking You, believing that You will be generous in Your response to us, answering prayer, giving us wisdom, helping us every step of the way. We thank You so much for that great truth, that great reality, and we give You the glory for it, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Dr. McManus is an author, seminary professor, and pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship. For more information about Dr. McManus, other messages, or resources, please visit gbfsv.org or call us at 650-630-0009.